I am an artist living in beautiful Vermont, USA, and I have a lot of questions. So I engage the minds of the people that I meet, poets, writers, artists. I explore what's inside and share it with you. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and I am eager to know. Charlie, thank you for joining me on Eager to Know. I'm not sure if you remember this, but when I first moved to Vermont back in April of this year, um, you were one of the first people that I called and we, I went to your studio and we met and I was very eager to talk to you because 10 years ago when I decided that I was gonna take painting seriously, I had seen your artwork here in Vermont and it really spoke to me and it kind of validated like what I thought I wanted to be as a painter and I saw that in your work. Wow, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, so I'm really excited that you are now on my podcast. Well, it's a joy to be here. Even if I do show up a little bit late, my intent is always very, very pure. All so right. it's a joy to be here. <laughs> well, and intention is, is so important. All right. Uh, now, I know that you grew up in New Hampshire and you grew up in, in Vermont. And I know that trains and barns were a big part of your childhood. That is correct. Yeah, I grew up, it, we were in Milford, New Hampshire, where my dad ran a print shop. Uh, and we had a wonderful place where we lived, which was a 1816 farmhouse. 16 rooms, one bathroom, uh, four kids, two parents, one grandmother. Actually, she had her own bathroom. And we had barns out back. It, it had been a dairy farm. And uh, it was just a great place to explore when you're a kid, you know, and you can just injure yourself in so many creative ways. Yeah. And then the state of New Hampshire announced they were putting a bypass around Milford and our barns were in the way of the bypass and uh, that took, took care of the barns. Um, and I think as, as a child that was so profoundly sad that it was really something I had to work through for years and years and years. And so it, it, the 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 Agriculture, the, the decline of small-scale agriculture has been always, for me, kind of one of the right objects, you know, one of the things I go back to over and over again in my work. And similarly with trains, in Milford there was a wonderful little branch line of the Boston and Maine Railroad, and this little freight, tra freight train would trundle through every day, uh, heading north to, to Hillsborough, and then late in the day heading back south. And I just, I fell in love with that little train. And actually that is one of the few branch lines in, of the old Boston and Maine that still exists. It only runs up as far as Wilton now, but, but uh, and then actually to a gravel pit a little bit beyond that. But at least that line still, still is with us. And I think you had mentioned that, I'd seen somewhere that you, uh, you were impressed by the, uh, what was written on the cars. Yeah. And, and things things like that. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the moment I fell in love with trains is, very, is etched in my mind. I was on my way back from Little League, and the southbound uh, little branch line train came through, and the late afternoon light was hitting the side of the boxcar, and the boxcar said, Nickel Plate Road. <laughs> and I just thought that was the neatest the neatest name. The typography was great, and the name was so mysterious. What What is a Nickel Plate Road? You know, and eventually found out. That is so, I feel like you're so lucky that something like that, that made an impression on you as a kid, you are able to keep with you as an adult 
and you're able to use it as material or fuel or however you want to call mm -hmm. it for your creativity. Like, well, I was very, very lucky in that my, my parents were really supportive of my doing art. I mean, they, they, I remember once saying to my mom that I was reading a book on advertising. <laughs> and I think in, in most kind of middle-class families, someone, the, the parents would be, oh, thank goodness, it's a creative channel for his art, you know. Yeah. And my mother would be like, well, you'd have to kind of sell your soul to the devil to go into advertising, wouldn't right. you? So, so, I mean, they were, they were very fine with me going ahead doing art, and they were not terribly enthusiastic about my turning the art to uh, commercial ends. Which you never did, right? Oh, I, no, I was a graphic designer. Oh, you um, were a graphic yeah. designer. It's funny, you know, I think about that now. My dad ran a print shop. He knew how to run the press. He knew how to do layout. He knew how to distribute type. All that has gotten so atomized. You have designers now, yeah. but a designer doesn't know how to run a, a, a press. Well, now there's so few presses, it's yeah. all copiers. But, uh, you know, my dad really could do everything. just about everything. Yeah. Yeah. The presses were always so... Um, temperamental that when he went into business for himself his print shop in Milford grew and grew and he never got time to print anymore he was having to you know manage Be the business yeah. manager and he hated that yeah so he sold when when they put the highway through he sold the print shop we moved back to the family where my great aunts lived up in Weathersfield Center Vermont and he started a one-man print shop, and that made him much happier. Except, in his favorite press was a little offset press called a Multilith, and it was very temperamental. And when when it was working well, he wouldn't let anybody into the into the press room with him because he said that that it would it would you know he and the press were getting along at that moment. He didn't want anybody else in there. Now, when did you start drawing? I assume when you when you started as an artsy kid, it was drawing. Yeah, Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and what, and what were you drawing? And well, we had you... we had a very large bulletin board. We had to fill up every month in the kitchen. You know, it was a four foot by six foot piece of Celotex. You know, kind of uh, you know that that board you can put thumbtacks in. And so my mother was always, you know, you have to do drawings of pussy willows. You have to draw, do a drawing of. You know, whatever was going on. Was she doing this to your other three siblings as well, or um, just you? I think I got the. I was her last child, so I got the full attack of my mom's wanting to instill creativity in someone. Um, my old. You were the last chance I to have a last, creative kid. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, my oldest sister it was was very creative as well, but um, she just she really. I, I guess I really took to drawing at a very young age and I remember asking her how to how to draw a barn mm -hmm. and I remember very very clearly her sitting me down and starting to draw and me thinking to myself she is going to be no help whatsoever <laughs> that woman could not draw her way out of a paper bag do you think that you were gifted as a drawer or do you think that it's something that you just kind of learn from doing. It sounds like from the comment you just made about your mom, maybe there's a little bit of a, a, a genetic predisposition or just who you are. Um, I, you know, I tend to think in terms of creativity that people have a slight leaning towards something, you know, but I don't, I, and maybe one in a million people have a real genius for it. I, I'm, I'm not a genius 
I, I, I don't think I'm particularly great at it. It's just that I've done it a lot. I think mm -hmm. I had a slight, it was, a, it was slightly the easiest way for me to express myself. And so I stuck with that. Mm. And now I've put in the hours that I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. But uh, I, don't, I don't, I certainly don't think I was extraordinarily gifted. Yeah, I remember I took a class at the Florence Academy of Art in Florence, Italy, and I remember the painting teacher saying that it's not about being gifted, it's about doing the work. Right, well, I th but I think, I think you've got, the gift is knowing what creative pursuit is, is, is the one that's most open to you. Because like, people are musicians. I think you have a little predilection toward music. Yep. And then, then you are willing to spend every afternoon up in your room practicing yeah. guitar. Yeah. I didn't have that. I love music, but and I had a guitar, but I did not want to sit and practice it. Yeah, but you, you know? didn't mind doing the drawing. Exactly. Mm, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about music a little bit, because I know that when you got out of um, school, you started working doing graphic design for band, bands. Is that accurate? And then I know that you were involved in like a business aspect to music as well. That, is, that, is that accurate? That, yeah, that's basically accurate. Um, when when I went off to college, my, the deal with my parents was they would pay the tuition, the, the Roman board and tuition, and I I had to make the money for the, my books and any spending money, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I arrived in New Haven and was walking down the street and I passed a rock club that had not very good uh, signs in the wind, hand, handwritten signs in the window and I went in and uh, struck a deal with them. So all during college I worked at Toad's Place which was a great rock club in that era. It still exists but it was, it was a terrific rock room. Um, and did a lot of, of uh, well, window displays, big big posters in the in the club itself posters on the wall on the display windows uh, doing all the tickets just all the graphics for them yeah. and that led to getting a lot of work with musicians who had passed through there okay. and then after I graduated I went to work for a company in Turner's Falls Massachusetts that had been part of a cult had just left the cult um, and uh, their big business was doing posters for colleges. Okay. So acts like The Clash would have a record come out and maybe the record was not as much of a hit as the previous record. So their tour would get kind of diverted to colleges. Okay. And there were these middle agents who would, who would book the college dates. And we, the company I worked with, had a deal with the middle agents that the middle agents would say, "This is the authorized tour poster for this tour," and I would design the tour poster. So I did the Clash, Eurythmics, REM, Jerry Garcia, a whole bunch of people. Then I became a music manager after that. Okay. Now, um, when you went from drawing, I assume when you were living in Vermont, New Hampshire, you're drawing pussy willows and you're drawing barns and trains and now you are doing more of a graphic design poster for musicians. Was that a big jump? Was that natural? It, like was, very, it was really natural. It was nearly natural. It was really natural. Why, because, is, why is that? Um, well, because uh, when, when I was a little kid, 
and my dad, and we'd moved back to Vermont. My dad was doing the one-man print shop. My parents started a weekly newspaper, the Weathersfield Weekly, the smallest newspaper in, in New England, a uh, circulation of 600. <laughs> and I did a lot of the page layouts uh, and the ad layouts for that. And my favorite ad layouts to do were, was for the Top Hat, Top Hat Bar and Grill in oh. Scutney, Vermont. And they used to have all the great uh, country musicians of that era who were on the road. I saw Kitty Wells. I saw Ernest Tubb and the Texas Troubadours. I did, po you know, I did ad layouts for them. Okay. Um, so it was it was just a very natural right. uh, growth and and uh, and change. Great. Now, when we think about music, I assume you listen to music while you're painting. Is that is that accurate? Is that generally part of your painting process? You're listening not to music? so much anymore. It, not so it, much anymore. It used to be very okay. very much. I used to, as Leonard Cohen says, "Remember me." I used to live for music. Remember me. I brought your groceries in. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But um, <laughs> I used to listen to music all the time. Nowadays, I'm I'm kind of just more in my head. Okay. And, and I listen to a lot of um, audio books now. Oh wow! I see. I couldn't do that. I couldn't. No. I couldn't listen to people speaking while I was painting. It would be too, be too distracting to me. Oh, I like that because it keeps yeah. my conscious mind thinking about the book, and that allows the unconscious mind to to do what it wants to do. Okay. Well, the reason why I asked it is because personally, music and painting are are very intertwined for me. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, I will look at an old painting of mine that I may have done seven years ago, and I can look at a certain part of that painting, and I remember what I was listening to with music. Right. Like, there's something in my brain that is getting right. merged, uh, you know. It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about about that, um, and it it I don't it I've just sort of evolved out of that. But I certainly I was I'm right there with you for a lot large part of my life. Good. Now, one of the things that I know you did in college was something that is not drawing landscapes, and that is figure drawing. And um, I know that you, I had seen that you had said you were very lucky that you were forced to do that on a regular basis. Um, I know that for me, figure, I'm going to tell you my opinion on figure drawing. I feel like it's like yoga for artists. I feel like regardless of what you do as a visual artist, doing a figure is going to calibrate what you see with what your hand is doing. And you're also a built-in art teacher because you don't have to be a, professional artist to know if your if anything is off just the slightest you will know as a human being not as an artist that's a very good point yeah. yeah so tell me about figure drawing and like how is that something you still do do you feel like that was um, well we've critical had, to be you being an artist I don't think it was critical to my being an artist but it certainly has been an integral part of my artistic practice mm. um, in college William Bailey was was the was the main teacher I had, you, it, and it, to be an undergrad art it, it at Yale you couldn't be an undergrad graphic design major. There was a graphic design school, a, a grad school, so 
you could you had to be an art major with a concentration in graphic design, which was actually wonderful because uh, the 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 deans had to spend much more time thinking about what your course of study was okay. than 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 for most of the students. There were two of us who were art majors with a concentration in graphic design, and they decided that uh, we needed to take drawing three days a week for our first three years. Um, three days a week, every week for your first three years. Then, then, and, and that, I had no desire to do that. I was like, you know, I wanted to be drinking. I didn't want to be up at 8 a.m. and I certainly didn't want to be drawing, drawing, you know, naked people of varying vintage. Um, but in retrospect, I am so glad that uh, they made me do it. And then I, you know, of course I fell in love with the, the practice over time. And I certainly have kept doing it uh, throughout my life. Is it something you still do now? Well, there's, there was a nasty bug that started going around in 2000. And that uh, kind of killed all the life drawing for a while. Okay. And I haven't taken it up since then. Okay. Is there any life drawing going on around here? Now? I have not done it. I know that there is someone that does it in Brattleboro, I believe. Yeah, no, we got to get it going up here again. Uh, I would completely support that, and I would definitely get involved in it. I know, um, getting back to when I went to Florence, Italy, obviously figure drawing is a huge deal there. And, um, you know, to be a model is, it's like a, there's plenty of people that that's their full-time job, and they even have a handler that comes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these people can hold a pose for, uh, you know, six hours, which is, wow. you, know, you, you need to be a, uh, you need to be a pro yeah. to be able to do that. But um, I would love to do it more regularly because, as I mentioned to you, I just think it is such a great foundational skill as, an, as a visual artist uh, to do. I think it fine-tunes and recalibrates um, at the deepest level uh, what, you know, like I said. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's one of the best descriptions of why it's worth doing that I've heard. Um, because I mean, you you just hit the nail on the head with the thing that if you get it wrong, you know you got it wrong. <laughs> Whereas if you're drawing a tree, you can lie like a rug, and no one's going to know. Totally. Um, but yeah, uh, they were doing it at Main Street Arts in Saxons River for a while, but uh, then that's fallen by the wayside. So we should we should campaign to get them to do it. All right. Well, I'm involved in Main Street Arts okay. now, so I maybe we can make it happen well, there. Well, they had the thing that was great. During the during the aughts and teens, uh, the life drawing up here is that they got a lot of the people from the New England Circus Arts School, mm. um, and so they were really flexible and could mm. hit remarkable poses. The other thing that was great is they were really competitive, so you could say that like, well, Raven, she held this pose for two hours last. I can do that. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of person you want to be having pose for you. <laughs> Now I know a lot of what you paint is stuff from the past, maybe things that are in disrepair. Um, that is something that I have an affinity for um, in some of my painting. I know that um, I, I, I like to think of it as something was once new and it's no longer new anymore, um, but maybe you can see some of that shining through. Um, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I, well, I, th I think I think there is a an inherent um, attraction to 
man-made man-made objects that have that bear the traces of of, of wear and tear. Um, yeah. And a, a friend of mine, a, a Chicago artist named Matt Barber Kennedy, he loves painting you know, the same dilapidated buildings as as you or I do. He also loves to paint like you know oil uh, hand oil cans and and you know hand tools wrenches and things like that 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 show the mark of of mm. of years and i think that that is it it ties us to what has come before and i think the older that the older we get the more hallowed the uh the track of human history becomes, you know, um, that that you you when you're a kid you see an old wrench you say the old wrench, when you're an adult you see an old wrench you say oh, I wonder where that is you know where that's been, <laughs> you know what when when that was a brand new craftsman wrench, you know was it working on a Edsel was yeah. it working on a GTO <laughs> was it working on a Gremlin you know, uh, yeah. you know, you know I, I remember years ago I went to. Chicago, and there was this um, liquor store with the sign with all the flickery bulbs that they have there, um, and it was very elaborate, and it was a green sign, and it was very large, and there was a homeless person like passed out in front of it, and it was in a area of town that was not a great area of town, and all I could think of was at one point this sign was brand new. They probably had a party celebrating our new sign and they invited mm -hmm. their friends and their business associates and they had such hope for their business uh, in the future that they invested in this you know beautiful sign and I could still see that in the sign even though it was really it probably had three bulbs flickering bulbs uh -huh. remaining <laughs> but yeah it's kind of the same exact thing as the example that you just gave um, on the toolbox, right. the, well, the, well, hand, the hand tool. That what, what you're saying about that sign at the liquor store reminds me of the great Freddie Eaglesmith song, White Rose, which he's Canadian, and White Rose was a Canadian gas station chain, and it is it's using the metaphor of the sign as the kind of diminution of dreams. Because it's you know that big white rose up on the sign. It was the innocence in all our lives. You could see it's neon from half a mile out, you know. And now, of course, the sign is derelict and the station is is closed. Um, so yeah, I think I think stuff like that has a tremendous heart pull, you know, on us. Nice. Now I know that you are a big part of the community in terms of the, a lot of t your time is invested in the, at least the Bellows Falls community where we are right now. I don't know if the broader community. Have you always been that type of person? Or is that something um, new? Tell me about that aspect of you. Well, in 2021, I started working with the town to help kind of develop and market the Bellows Falls Opera House. And I'm taking that pretty seriously, and basically, it's like a half-time job right now. It could be a full-time job, but since it's volunteer, it's a half-time job. Thank you very much. Um, I think it's important to do volunteer work. I mean, especially if you're in a position where you're, I, I do well enough with the art that I am not starving. Okay. So I have time to 
give to the community. Um, I think anybody in my position should be doing that. Okay. Okay. And one comment about the the uh, in one comment about the opera houses, they do movies there, and they are six dollars. Yes. And it is also $5 for a popcorn soda candy combination. The triple up. Which is yep. reason enough to move to the area. <laughs> <laughs> and we have we show first run movies for $6. And then every Wednesday, uh, we have Classic Film Wednesdays, which is sponsored by a person or business. They get to choose the movie. No Disney or Fox, unfortunately. They don't license to little movie theaters okay. like ours. But it's, it's a wonderful way to see a beloved movie on the big screen, you know. Like, I, I, I sponsored Galaxy Quest uh, a couple of years ago. That was so cool seeing it on a big screen. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, I know. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is going to be there this week. And then I think next week it's going to be either Holiday Inn or White Christmas. White Christmas. All right, so I'm totally going to that. I love White Christmas. Yeah. And two shows. Two shows on on the Classic Film Wednesdays the next two <laughs> weeks for, right. for Christmas. And this week, with It's a Wonderful Life, sponsored by Coda and Coda, free triple up. One free triple up with each party so if there are four of you buying tickets you get one triple up right. if there's just one of you buying a ticket you get one triple up right. for free <laughs> i will definitely have to check that out all right well charlie thank you so much for hanging out with me today this was really great to get to know you and uh to get to know you better oh this was great fun thank you and uh this is a wonderful uh series that you're doing oh thank you yeah i've done a lot of them as you can see yeah so i've done um so obviously this is a podcast and i've done i think i have 104 episodes so i've been doing it for about three years am i 104 or 105 uh, well depending on when you go live i think you'll be 105 hot diggity so, yeah That's well thank great. you thank you rick My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.